in California, they have a thing called sneaker waves. And they don't call them sneaker waves because they have a closet full of Jordans at home. No, no, no. They're called sneaker waves because they're sneaky. Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another episode of Wayward Stories. Wayward Stories is the podcast where we tell your stories of self-discovery and outdoor adventure. I'm super psyched to have you guys all back again for another week. Um, Tonight was my daughter's first soccer game, and it was the cutest thing ever, and I just can't even. Um, It's absolutely hilarious. A bunch of six-year-olds... Nobody knows how to play soccer, trying to play soccer, except for one kid. And that kid, he was the Bo Jackson of Boys and Girls Club Soccer Tonight in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Um, Anyway, around it, it was a lot of fun. Been a late afternoon, late evening, and I am tired. But we've got to crank out another episode, keep these bad boys rolling. And I think I mentioned already, but let me say it again because it bears repeating. I'm glad that you are back with me tonight. Tonight, we're going to continue on the upward trend on the more positive notes. And we're going to talk about a section of the Pacific Coast Highway, Highway 1. Um, and specifically, like the most well-known section of Highway 1 is probably the Big Sur portion of Highway 1. But we're going to talk about Big Sur next week. Um, it's going to get its own episode. Big Sur had the most profound impact of all the things I saw in California. And I mean, that includes Yosemite. Big Sur had a larger impact on me. And it's going to get its own episode. Big Sur was a big deal to me. Um, what we're going to talk about tonight is the section of Highway 1 between Pacifica and Santa Cruz. Essentially San Francisco to Santa Cruz. I think it's about a 45, 50 mile stretch of California Highway 1, which if you are unfamiliar to the uninitiated, Highway 1 is the section of highway that runs, I'm pretty sure, the entire length of the California coast. And it has this kind of an Achilles heel issue and that it likes to fall into the ocean. Um, Currently, there is a large section of it in the ocean. Um, but it is an incredible, beautiful thoroughfare. When you drive down Highway 1, you are treated to some of the most incredible views of the Central California coastline. Um, some of the most beautiful architecture and some of the bridges down through there. But that's that's Big Sur stuff. We're going to talk more about Big Sur next week. This section specifically is in its own right absolutely beautiful and overlooked often because Big Sur is literally the next section down from this section and everyone focuses on it. This section is oft overlooked but has some absolutely amazing beaches and coves and inlets and um, lighthouses and it's a it's a gorgeous place and it was one of the easiest places for me to access from where I was in um, Morgan Hill, where we stayed while I was there. And when I say easiest, it's I could literally jump over Hecker Pass and hit Highway 1. And it was like 40 minutes to Santa Cruz. And from there, you're headed up from Santa Cruz. 
on this section, notable things on this section of Highway 1 are going to be like Sharks Fin Cove, Davenport Beach. Um, gosh, there's too many to list, but if you will get on the old Google box or Google Maps specifically and just pull up that section of the coast of California, you will see it is one beach, one inlet, one cove, one lighthouse after the other. It is nonstop for that entire stretch of Highway 1. And it's something that you could do over the course of a single day's time easily. But if you wanted to hit all the places on it, if you could take two or three days to work your way down that section of Highway 1, you would enjoy every second of every day. You would be treated some of the most beautiful views and vistas on the planet. To me specifically, that was a place that was important in my journey because it's kind of where I fell in love with the ocean. Um, I discovered the power of water in multiple different ways there on the coast of California in that section. Um, and we're going to talk about those tonight because there were important life lessons that I took from some of those instances. Um, one of the places, Shark's Fin Cove, I've already mentioned, you have to check out Shark's Fin Cove. If you ever take find your way and take a trip out to the California coast, the central California coast, you have to go down to Shark's Fin Cove. It is this really large section of the shorefront that has been eaten away by eons and eons of wave action. And um, it's just giant cove. It has a sea cave right in the center of it, and it has a giant rock standing right in the middle of the cove that looks like a shark's fin, hence the name. There's a very small parking area, and to get down to it, you have to cross the remnants of a section of the old Ocean Shore Railroad, which that in and of itself is super cool, guys. Um, it was an operation from around about 1905 to 1921, and it was kind of envisioned as a, um, as a railroad line to move freight and traffic and passengers between San Francisco and Santa Cruz. It was never really full ra fully realized to be that. Um, had a lot of financial issues. It was affected by the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, you know, that big one that you may have heard about in history class. But as I look at it today, oh my gosh, there's probably a reason that no one has um, reclaimed that section, that old abandoned right-of-way, and turned it into a scenic passenger route. I feel like you could make a killing just doing passenger excursion trains from San Francisco to Santa Cruz. But I'm betting that maintenance cost, I mean, it's actually closer to the ocean than Highway is. Highway 1 is in multiple places. And as I've mentioned already, at least three or four times, Highway 1 has a tendency to fall into the ocean. So I'm assuming infrastructure and maintenance cost probably is a prohibitive thing and has kept that from happening. But any of you entrepreneurs out there that love railroads, I love railroads and railroad history, passenger trains. Any of you entrepreneurs out there that have lots and lots and lots and lots of money, I'm just saying it's a missed opportunity. Y'all are missing out on an opportunity, something really awesome there. Um, but you make your way over those railroad tracks, and then you start your way down a very precarious trail, if you can call it a trail, into Shark's Fin Cove. And once you clamber and climb and slide most of your way down, um, you find yourself on a small little stretch of sandy beach within the cove, and to your left is a sea cave, and depending on the tide and the wave action, it may or may not be filled with water. I was there several times. 
and I could walk through it sometimes and other times there was no way. Um, it is a great place for photography. I got several pictures there, but I have one that I'm particularly fond of. And there is a goal taking flight as a wave is crashing into the um, kind of the bottleneck. The cove opens up into a broader kind of a horseshoe shape on the inside, but it's a little bit tighter at the very entrance. And the waves crash through that area. And also there's a creek that's running into the cove out of a really interesting kind of man-made culvert thing down there at the bottom, the base, but it looks like a giant cave. It's really cool. But there's this really a small stream winding its way through the beach down into the water. The ocean's crashing in. There's a gold-taking flight. Um, I'm really fond of that picture. It's a great place for photography. It's a great place for a sunset. You can go down in there and you can just kick it. Now, you'll, you'll see a few people. There will be people come and go. A few other intrepid souls who decided to slide their way down this um, somewhat treacherous pathway. But more often than not, when I went over there, I was alone. More often than not, maybe one or two other people were there. Um, and it's something you should absolutely take into account. And it was at that beach specifically I kind of realized I was addicted to the ocean. While I was out there working over the course of that two and a half months, I started noticing that I would be at work and I would catch myself just on the run all day, running to every curb, up to every house from every curb and in a hurry and realizing the reason why was if I get done early enough, I can get back to the beach. If I get done early enough, I can get back to the ocean. And you'll need to understand, this is January and March in 2018. This isn't July and August. It's not hot out. There aren't a bunch of people out in bathing suits and bikinis. It's not lay on the sand and catch some rays type of weather. It was cold. It was blustery. When I say cold, with the kind of humidity you have on the coast, 40 to 50 degrees with a strong breeze is, is pretty chilly. Um, you're not laying out catching rays in that kind of weather. Um this is more of an experience where you're really experiencing the power of nature. You're experiencing the tides. You're experiencing the crashing waves. You're experiencing the cold breeze, um, the humid breeze. And it was just, there was a certain magic to it. It's kind of like, you remember in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And they're trying to uh, work their way into the studio to make some easy money singing. And uh, they talk about being a gospel band and specifically say it's a salve for the soul. The ocean is a salve for the soul. The ocean will heal you. That is one of the many powers the ocean has. There's something about it that's not just hypnotic. That in and of itself will do something for you. The ocean is very hypnotic. It's very rhythmic. But it also helps you see the perspective of kind of your place in the world, standing beside the ocean, you do realize how insignificantly small you are. You realize that the ocean does not care for you at all. You're insignificant to it. And somehow there's a centering. I talked about this in the last episode with Yosemite. There's a centering, there's a grounding, there's an anchor that comes from that of just realizing a little bit of your place in the world. And for me, it's a good place to be. And it's just, it's a very healing thing. 
but there on the central coast of California is different. I mean, it's not beaches in Destin, Florida or Pensacola. It's, it's not white sands. It's not women in bathing suits and men with six packs. It's, it's nature at its extremes. It literally is land mass, mountains and land mass meet the ocean and they violently oppose each other. The ocean wants to eat the land and the land doesn't want to go anywhere. And it's dramatic. Dramatic's the right word. And there's some there's some something of an awe. There's something of an awe that comes along with that when you see it. And it crafts and it creates some of the most beautiful landscapes you'll ever see. Um the phonographic opportunities are off the chain, as the kids like to say. I mean, you could take a Kodak out there, like an old um, Polaroid is what I meant. Take a Polaroid out there from the 1970s with old film stock and come away looking like a professional because the pictures essentially take themselves. Like I said before, it's always golden hour. It's always magic hour in central California. And on top of that, the landscapes are more dramatic than an artist could conceive. It is something that will really help you center in the world. Um, and I found there some of my healing. I found that I had to keep going back to that ocean. It absolutely was addictive to me. And I discovered there, in Shark's Fin, Shark's Fin Co. specifically, that that's something I desperately needed. And it was good for me. And I had two and a half months of it. Along that section of highway, it's kind of its own little ecosystem within the whole Highway 1 world, whole Highway 1 universe. It's kind of its own little microcosmic ecosystem. Different than Big Sur, but similar. It's very beautiful. It's less, um, I would say from my time there, it is less traveled than the Big Sur section. Um, it's a little bit less popular, a little bit less crowded because everyone kind of focuses on Big Sur and with good reason, but we'll talk about that next episode. Um, it's a great place to go to get some really beautiful views of the ocean. There's lots of open fields leading out to the ocean. There's one point just above Shark's Fin. And when you walk around the top rim of the cove, there's a little trail you can go out to the top rim of the cove and look down within it. I actually got a picture from up there, a photograph from up there. That is one of the headers on my website. Um, I have randomly loading headers on the website. And it's one of like five or six pictures that just randomly rotates through whenever you load the website. And it's a it's a dramatic photograph. Um, it really captures the essence of what it's like to be there at Shark's Fin Cove. If I do say it so myself, but to me, when I look at it, I can I can sense it again. I can feel what it was like to be there. Um and so I highly suggest that you make that something on your bucket list at some point in your life. You need to add that to your bucket list. As you go up and down that section of Highway 1, you can't you continue to run across remnants of the old Ocean Shore Railroad, which for me is cool as a history nerd and someone who likes abandoned things. There's a lot of abandoned infrastructure along that section. Um, Davenport Beach is beautiful. There's La Selva, I think. Yeah, La Selva Beach is in there, Rio Del Mar. There's more beaches than you can count. And all of them have their own specific awesomeness. Like Shark's Fin Cove, there's not much beach there. It's mostly 
just dramatic coastline going on there. And you go down to La Selva Beach, you have a lot more sand. There are other ones that have a lot more sand and have a like really beautiful river running into the ocean. And it's a really interesting thing to see. It can't be really described with words, but to see a place where a river or a very large creek actually meets the ocean, again, I don't have the words for that, but to see it yourself, you might understand it better. I did get a few good photographs of different places where a creek or a river was meeting the ocean. And it's its own, um, it's kind of its own niche it has its own place that's um, somehow moving and a salve to the soul. But, um, oh, what is the right word? Ineffable. It's a bit ineffable. Hard to put words to it. Um, up and down that section, oh gosh, here's a good one. And this is this is this will keep us on track as we kind of talk about the power of water tonight. Water is interesting in that it obviously keeps us alive. It can be healing to the soul. Um, it has awesome power. They absolutely erode giant land masses of rock. But it also wants you to die. Eh, okay, it doesn't exactly want you to die, but it does not care if you do, and it is willing and capable always of killing you. And I learned this firsthand. And this is much closer to Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz in and of itself is an awesome place to go, guys. Um, the boardwalk. Oh my gosh. The boardwalk is super cool. You go behind it and you have the Walton Lighthouse right down in that area. And you want to talk about photographic opportunities. I got a really good photograph at the Walton Lighthouse. We have to talk about this for just a minute. Because I, I went down there one afternoon. I go down to the beach and, and we're at an extremely low tide. And so there was several hundred more feet of ocean bottom exposed. And it was really dramatic looking. And it was getting close to sunset. And you've got the lighthouse over there in the distance. And I'm like, this is cash money. We're going to get some pictures tonight. And I did. But one specific instance really kind of set it put it over the top. And it's one of my favorite favorite photographs I've ever taken. It's also one of the headers on the website. And as I was walking along the beach and I was walking further to the south because I had this idea I could tell where the sun was on the horizon. I was like, I think if I get my angle right, I can make the sun set right behind the lighthouse, right where the light would be. And as I was kind of chasing that angle, I came across a group of uh, three people somewhat hippie-esque, lots of dreadlocks. Between the three of them, they had lots and lots of dreadlocks. And they were stoned out of their gourds. I'm talking fresh baked, fresh baked. And this one of the three of them was blowing a conch shell. I don't even know where he got a conch shell. It, I, I assumed he got it there locally, but I talked to some other people. They're like, he didn't get that here. We don't have conch shells here. But he was blowing on this conch shell like a horn. And I went up and watched him for a while. I mean, he was playing, he was beating out some songs out of that thing somehow. And I went up and I finally, I asked him, I said, man, can I take your picture and silhouette? Because you're kind of killing it on that conch cell. And I've got something in mind here. Do you care if I take your picture? And to be really honest, he said yes. But I'm not going to say that it was 100% consensual because I probably could have asked him if I could staple his scalp to the pier 
and he probably would have been agreeable to that. He was pretty agreeable to anything. Um, but I did. I got a picture of him in silhouette blowing his conch cell with the sun setting on the lighthouse, exactly as I was already chasing. And his little puppy dog buddy was standing behind him, staring at him like, what the are you doing, dude? And it's, I don't know, to me, it's one of my favorite pictures ever. We sat around and talked, all of us, the three of us, me and all the dreadlocks, the dreadlocks and I, man, that should be the name of a book or a movie. Um, but we sat around and talked and it was, it was awesome. I enjoyed the heck out of talking to them, man. They had me set up to go down backstage to some um, reggae festival that was supposed to be going on, which obviously I couldn't go to um, for time constraints and all kinds of different reasons. But um, (laughs) you ever had those conversations where everyone talks about what blue means to you and blue means to me? Um, That was one of those kinds of conversations. And for me, I love that. I mean, some of y'all might be like, what a waste of time or that's, that's just silly, or I don't like potheads, or whatever. You may have different views on it, but for me, there are three human beings doing their thing, man. Just doing their own thing, and not caring a flip for what anyone else in the world thinks. And I respect that. I respect that so much. And I respected them, and just talking to them. We had, we had a good time that afternoon. I got some killer photographs, met some killer new friends, and all was well in Justin's little world that night. Um, and those are the kinds of things, if you don't close yourself off to the world and you go out openly and you go out with a smile on your face, those things will happen to you. More often than not, you will make a new friend out there on the trail. I can't tell you how many I've made in my time out adventuring and doing the videos for YouTube. Um which apparently a lot of my YouTube followers do not care for me putting these podcasts onto my YouTube channel. I've lost like 15 subscribers since I started putting these on YouTube, but that's neither here nor there. Um, But yeah, I highly urge you guys, when you go out, go out with a smile on your face and go out looking to make friends and you will. Go out to be helpful and help people get pictures of them and their families like I mentioned previously. Go out to experience and experience you will. I'm not sure how else to put that. Go out to experience, open to the experience, and you will have an experience. Um, but oh, I got off track. I'm prone to rabbit holes, if you guys haven't noticed this already, but that's just, you know, me and that's how it's going to be around here. But um, I was talking about there in Santa Cruz, you have Natural Bridges State Park. Natural Bridges State Park is Really cool. I think it might just be Natural Bridge. There's one giant sea arch right out there in Notion. It's very picturesque. Got some pretty cool photographs of that. I had a harder time getting pictures of that one for some reason. I went back there several times. I went there two, three, four times. Um, But one of those times, I experienced the power of water in a more negative way. Let's say that. Um... When you go into natural bridges, you, you come up and you see the, the arch over there. You have the keyhole arch. And then you have a bluff, kind of a rock bluff line over to the right. And it skirts along. And if you get on top of that rock bluff, about six, eight feet off the water, you get a really good shot north to south, broadside of the keyhole arch. And that day, the sea was incredibly angry. The sea was very angry that day. It was kind of like a washing machine. 
just churning right against the rocks, jagged rocks right below this six, eight foot bluff. So I go out on the bluff to try to take pictures of the waves crashing into the side of the bluff that I was standing on, not the arch itself at this point. And that was the day that I learned in California, they have a thing called sneaker waves. And they don't call them sneaker waves because they have a closet full of Jordans at home. No, no, no. They're called sneaker waves because they're sneaky and they want to kill you. I learned that that day. As I was standing out there on the bluff and I was taking pictures of the waves breaking into the the bluff line just below me, I was kind of shooting down it perpendicular to it. I suddenly looked up and realized there was a wall of water a good two or three feet taller than I myself was on top of the bluff. I'm six, you know, five eleven, close to six feet tall. It was eight or nine foot wall of water coming over the top of me. Um, instinctively, I think this is one place all the years I spent playing sports served me well because I instinctively took a football stance. You know, like in high school, any of you guys out there had ever played football, when you had to be the pad dummy, like when you were JV, you were the freshmen and the sophomores, and somebody had to hold the pads for the uh, offensive linemen, the juniors and seniors, to block you, which was a form of cruel and unusual punishment. I don't think it would pass in today's society. They would say it was a form of abuse. It was brutal. But I took that stance. Like I was holding a pad and I was about to get whelped. And I did. I leaned into it. I took my stance and I handled the weight of the wave coming into me just fine. That was okay. But almost immediately realized I was in deep crap. Because all of that water that went behind me it had to go back to the ocean, right? Everything always goes back to the ocean. And as it started to rush out from under me, it was probably about mid-calf deep as it started to rush back off of the bluff I was standing on into the ocean that was six to eight feet below me where the waves were churning against jagged rocks. And I immediately felt like the soles of my shoes lose their traction. I could feel my legs it almost felt like hovering or sliding on ice. My feet were starting to lose traction and I could tell I was slowly moving towards the edge. Not far, not very far, not very much. But I knew the edge was right over the other end of it. And in that moment, somehow, it's funny how time slows down when things like that happen. Like mentally, everything almost stops because in the few seconds however long it could have been, it couldn't have taken more than three or four seconds for that water to run out from underneath me and me get realize I wasn't going in. Um, and that two or three seconds, I built an entire plan of action and started writing my obituary. I like, seriously, in my mind, I was like, okay, when I go over the edge, the first thing I have to do is I have to get the backpack off and let it go. And then I had to think about, but there's a lot of money in this backpack, camera equipment. And thought, you know what? No, it's your life, dude. You just have to let it go. It's a loss. The backpack's gone. I like immediately, as soon as you hit the water, you have to get out of the backpack. You have to get your shoes off. And I was trying to think through, is there anything else on my person that needs to come off so I have a shot here? And started thinking about how I need to swim as hard as I can into the ocean, away from the rocks. And then hope to God I don't get caught by a rip current. 
and find a way back around to the beach, away from all the jagged rocks and the churning action of the ocean. All of this, and I'm starting to think about like, man, my daughter, who's gonna, like, is anyone even gonna know? And then suddenly everything was okay. I did not lose my footing, I didn't go into the ocean, but in like that two or three seconds, I literally had like the first part of my autobiography written and trying to figure out how I was gonna dictate it from beyond the grave. Um, but I learned something very important that day, like, you know, the power of water, it will kill you. And I say I learned that, I already knew the power of water would kill you. I grew up on whitewater rivers. I say grew up. The last 20 years of my life, I've spent kayaking and fishing and floating in some of the most beautiful rivers. The world has to offer right here in Arkansas, you know, class two to three whitewater on the Mulberry River on the right weekend, the Buffalo's beautiful river. I am no stranger to hydraulics. I'm no stranger to strainers. I'm no stranger. I'm on the search and rescue team for God's sake. I'm no stranger to the power of water and what it can do to you. But out there, the sheer magnitude and really probably the brain space and the emotional space I was in at that time in my life, I was like taking everything like super philosophically. Um, or maybe we should pronounce it correctly and call it philosophical. You know, that's just a one-off that didn't work, did it? Anyway, I was I was think, taking things a lot more philosophically. I was seeing a lot more because I was learning lessons there and I was taking them to heart. And I was literally, truly got a clean slate. I really got my slate wiped clean about 99% of the way back at that point in my life. And everything lay before me and I was restructuring how I was thinking. I was restructuring how I was feeling. I was restructuring my plan of attack at the world. So everything was coming in under a more critical eye of what does blue mean to you and what does blue mean to me, right? Um, and I was kind of thinking about that. And it was after, you know, I just got swamped. It's January or I believe that, yeah, that was the first trip because my coworker Perry was there. And I just got swamped. He was there with me. He was back on the beach and he saw me get hit and he comes walking out and I go walking back towards him. I'm soaked from head to toe in cold ass seawater. And he was like, you okay? And I'm like, yep, I'll be in the car and I'm leaving. If you're not in the car in five minutes, I don't know how you're getting back to the hotel. And so I did. I went back to the car, got out of there. But as I was kind of pondering all that, I was thinking about where I'm going with this tonight. The power of water it has the power to give life. It has the power to take life. Um, and ultimately, though, as long as you understand it, if you know about sneaker waves, people that live by the ocean certainly know about sneaker waves. I have no doubt. Um, it's just like nature anywhere. We talked about it previously. If you know the dance and you're willing to dance with it, you'll be fine. And when you dance with it and enter into the symbiotic relationship with wonderful mother nature, she'll heal your soul. So when you sit there and you watch the ocean waves crash and you're listening to the rhythmic sound of the surf pounding on the beach, it brings a peace and a calm to you and an understanding of your place in the big scheme of things that I think everyone could benefit from as long as you know to watch out for sneaker waves. I also, yeah, there was more than one of those. And I actually saw, I started looking into it after that. 
they actually put out like warnings about them. Like I started seeing it in the weather. I started checking the weather locally along the coast there. And it would say enhanced risk of sneaker waves. And they call them sneaker waves. That's like the most scientific term I've ever heard, right? I mean, that's just... <sighs> but they're sneaky. And that's why. That's what everyone's concerned about. And I, I witnessed another one. And this one was kind of funny. Because I don't think anyone was ever in any danger. But I don't know which beach I was at. I cannot, for the life of me, I've been trying to place it. Um, as I was thinking about making tonight's episode. And I can't for the life of me, figure out or remember the name or where I was at. But this beach was, there was a really tall, like, a bluff line. Let's just call it a bluff line. I mean, it's just giant pastures, but then you go down to the ocean and it's just where the ocean has eaten a wave at the at the landmass. And you have this big dirt, it's not rock, but like a dirt bluff that goes up probably 100 feet or more. It's very steep, goes straight up. You know, a little bit of an incline and then boom straight up and I'm down there on the beach that day and there's a lot of people there on that particular day in that place there was probably better than 80 or 100 people on this fairly small section of seashore and all of a sudden a wave crashed and it just kept on coming and all of a sudden I heard all these screams behind me and I look back and everybody on the beach is running towards the bluff line. And I'm like, what is going on? And I glanced back over towards the water and realized the water was chasing them all very quickly. And before long, it was chasing me. And it grabbed my backpack and my camera bag off of the ground and took them back into the ocean. I responded to that by chasing them back into the ocean. They were not getting away from me. Um, but it was funny because people were trying to climb up that hill that bluff line you could tell I wasn't the only person there that was from out of town because some of those people I think thought a tsunami was coming in I think some of those people thought it was over because they were losing their minds trying to climb up this dirt embankment and they were slipping and falling I guess it's not funny but it was funny um yeah water is a very powerful thing you have to be mindful of it but again if you know the dance and you know how it likes to dance and you're willing to dance with it it is a salve for the soul and um for me, that was a big part of my experience, big part of my journey through all of this was, you know, out there I'm learning lessons. We talked about that in the first four episodes. You know, I learned a lot of different lessons. I started to see the world again through clearer eyes. My eyes, I had a veil thrown over my eyes for the better part of a decade. I saw the world through, um, they weren't rose-colored glasses, they're more like poop-colored glasses, but saw the world through a different filter. And everything was skewed. And I was a year out of that and struggling to find my way out of it and see the world more clearly. And I was starting to get the opportunities too. And on this trip, I learned a lot of lessons and saw a lot of things that helped me take steps and move in the right direction. But it was going to the ocean. And really particularly, again, we're going to talk about Big Sur next week. But it was along this section, the section I got to visit the most, that... I really fell in love with the ocean. I fell in love with the power of water. I fell in love with and became addicted to the sense of calm and serenity it brought to me and the sense of place in the big scheme of things that it brought to me. And um, it was a big part of my story arc. I, I'm sitting here. I'm actually stumbling. I'm starting to stumble because I'm like, oh gosh, where do I go from here? But that is the whole point. Like I got to remind myself, the whole point of this this show of this podcast 
is to talk about experiences we've had out in the wild and what they did for us. And that's exactly what that experience did for me. There doesn't have to be even larger story arc to all this, right? Like the writer, the author in me, the screenwriter in me, the producer, the director in me from all my years and background and production is saying, what's the bigger story arc? You got to keep rolling. But like, that's, I forgot that is the point. That's what we're here to talk about telling stories. They can just be little snippets, just little things that mattered to you. And that's what mattered to me and something I needed and something I longed for. Y'all, I miss California. People, California has a bad rap. Like, let's be straight about that. California has a bad rap. Everyone talks about how hateful Californians are. And here in the South and the South Central, everyone likes to joke about the California howdy. There's a perception of California that it's all Los Angeles that everyone is rich, vain, arrogant, and angry and confrontational. Like, Los Angeles is not that big in the big scheme of California. California is huge. And everyone I met in California, I mean, the vast majority, when I say everyone, yeah, I over-exaggerate. It wasn't every single person. There's jerks everywhere. But I was impressed, highly impressed, by the number of people in California, the percentage per capita of people that were so chill and so cool and so friendly and so personable. I mean, people were giving and caring and smiling. I mean, it's funny. Nobody wanted to be there. Everyone I met was like trying to leave. They all hated like the politics there and they all hated how expensive it was. But everyone said the same thing. It's hard to get out of here because of their particular careers. Most of them were. It was like Silicon Valley type stuff. It was mostly um, tech. And that's the Mecca for tech. Would you call it the Mech? No, that's not even a good bad dad joke. Um, but they're all trying to leave, but they didn't want to, too. Everyone said, oh, yeah, no, it's absolutely gorgeous. And most of them would say something to the effect of, it's not lost on us how beautiful this is. You know, I, or they wouldn't say we, but them in particular. So it's not lost on me. It's like the, I, I, I don't take for granted that I can go to the beach every day, a beautiful beach, that I can go out and surf, that I can go out and take these amazing hikes down one of the most beautiful places on earth. But they're still all trying to leave. But the big misperception is the misconception and the the skewed perception of California is really not fair. I mean, two and a half months there, yeah, it's not a year or two years, but it's a long time. I lived there for two and a half months. Everyone was friendly. Everyone was personable. Everyone, most people were kind. And of all the places I've ever been in the United States, they were honestly the most... Um, what's the pro proper word, um, tolerant of other people and other cultures and other um, just likes and dislikes, you know? A lot of places I've been, you know, like the meatheads won't hang out with the stoners and the stoners won't hang out with the jocks. And, you know, everyone knows the idea of cliques and that exists far beyond the realm of high school. God, I see it in the workplace every day. I'm a 40-year-old man. But out there, it was like everyone was chill and just let other people be. And more than just let them be, they respected other people for what they did. They respected that, oh yeah, the jock, that's your thing. You're the football guy, whatever. And the football guy respected 
the stoner who just liked Rostet. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there was a respect that was implied. Like, nobody looked down on anyone. When I, again, over-exaggerate, but the vast majority of people, that was the culture there, was tolerance. That's way cooler than anywhere else I've ever been. And I know there are other places like that that exist, but out there, it was it was a large percentage. It was impressive. Enough that it was noticeable and noticeably impressive. And I loved that atmosphere personally. California gets a little bit of a bad rap. It isn't prohibitively expensive to be there, but it should be on everybody's list as a bucket list type of trip in your life. It is going to cost you. I will not sugarcoat that. It's going to cost you. Um, but I'm telling you, you'll regret it if you don't experience it. It will change you a little bit as a person. If you're a live, living human being with, being with a pulse, it will change you on a deep level, even if just a little bit, but it'll change you in a good way. Um, it certainly did me. I mean, honestly... Probably the bigger theme of the whole thing, like we've been talking about for four episodes now, healing and all these things, but what it changed for me, probably the biggest paradigm shift that I got out of the whole deal, is it gave me some hope in life because I saw people that were smiling. I saw happy people who were out living. They were going for whatever it was they cared about, they went and did it. I live in a very economically depressed and, I mean, stricken part of the United States. And you don't see a whole lot of huge smiles on faces. Everyone's struggling. Everyone's struggling. Around the entire area I'm in, there's a small area close to here that is very economically well-to-do. It's a great area. But the majority of my state and the majority of the South are very economically downtrodden. And I, I deliver packages every day. I'm at people's houses all day, every day. People struggle. They don't have jobs. They can't find jobs. There's very little opportunity here. You see a lot of stuff that will really take you down. It'll really take you down the rabbit hole. To be out there, it gave me hope. That I could chase after something and I could do it. Because here are a lot of people that did that and are doing that. Um, yeah, the overarching, really the biggest theme of all of it, probably the thing that was the most impressive to me and meant the most to me was I found some hope out there. And right now, that's what I'm doing right now with this podcast. I mean, to you, it may seem silly. To me, this is the culmination of everything that's been building for really my entire life. I just want to share me, you know, is that valuable? I don't know, but I want to, I'm driven to, and here I am finally doing it. And why is that? A big part of it was this huge trip out to California. Honest to God truth. A big part of it was the healing, the perspectives that I gained out there in, in a huge way. The motivation to have hope. There was a proof of concept out for, there for me. This world is big. It's broad. It is beautiful. And there are opportunities. And for anyone who's willing to chase after those opportunities, good fortune, lady luck, karma, whatever you think, 
might just smile upon you. And here we are. And you know what? No matter whatever comes of any of this, it doesn't matter. I'm doing what I want to do. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to do on this planet. In my eye, in my view, at this moment, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Sharing me in the best ways that I can find to do it. This is what the drive was for as long as I can remember for the last three years. And it's finally coming to pass and we're getting it done. And that excites me. That makes me happy. Um, yeah. So Pacific Coast, California Highway 1, Santa Cruz to Pacifica. Santa, basically San Francisco to Santa Cruz. Y'all got to go do it. You've got to see Shark Fin Cove. You've got to see Davenport Beach. You've got to see Half Moon Bay. Um, Natural Bridge State Park. Go out there and experience your own sneaker waves. But just be ready. Never, ever, ever trust the ocean. That's tonight's quotable quote from the Wayward Sun. Um, <laughs> that's a good place to wrap it up for tonight. Um, I'm glad you guys joined us again. Super psyched about that. If you want to help the show grow, if you like what we're doing and you want to help the show grow, please subscribe, please rate and leave a review on the podcast player, um, platform of your choice, wherever you're listening. That's how we get ranked. That's how we get boosted in rankings. That's how other people find us. When other people find us, Lots more people find us, then we maybe get sponsors, and then maybe we can keep doing this indefinitely. So if you want to help out, just rate, subscribe, review. That is the easiest way to do it. You can also go over to patreon.com forward slash wayward stories if you want to contribute. There is no minimum, there's no maximum to the Patreon account. Being completely transparent, I have nothing to offer in return. What I've put there on Patreon is the truest sense of crowdsourcing and independent artist support. That's what Patreon was started as. I don't have sponsorship. This is all out of my own pocket and my revolving credit accounts. And if you want to support, you're welcome to go do it. Know that 20% of all Patreon proceeds go to some charity dependent upon what I see as the greatest need that I can contribute to. Usually it's going to be going to... Um, like a women's crisis center, anywhere that is helping people that have been in an abusive situation. And also search and rescue is a very big deal to me. And a lot of search and rescue teams struggle for funding and are always trying to raise money. So they're always on my radar. But 20% of all Patreon proceeds are always and forever going to go to some charity for people who really need it. Um, if that helps you feel any better about contributing to the podcast in that way. Other than that, there's anything you want to check out? Gosh, we've been talking about the Pacific Coast tonight. Some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. There go, you know, the drinking game. Y'all take a shot. Um, I've got photo galleries right over on the website. If you head over to the website, check out my photo galleries, waywardstories.com. You're going to find my photo galleries. You're going to see a lot of awesome pictures of the coast and some other places. I really need to update those galleries. But you can see a lot of the places that we're talking about. Some of the photos I talked about tonight are over there at the website. Anything else? My Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, our private Reddit, our private Facebook group, all of that, waywardstories.com. And also, I need your stories. If you have listened to any of mine and thought, man, I need to tell my story. Yes, you do. This is your sign. 
to write me that story so we can start working those into production for future episodes. That's the entire intention of this entire podcast is to set up a platform for you guys to tell your stories so we can all connect and build a big old community where we all just share our stories and get some kind of awesome karmic, you know, I don't know, some awesome karmic soup going that we all get to partake of. Um, Yeah, let's wrap it up with that. Let's end it right there. I think that that went over, you know, I think tonight's episode was pretty good. Feel pretty good about it. I like it. Um, again, thanks for listening, guys. We got we'll check catch you on the next episode. And until we make it to that episode, you guys have a good week and you be good to each other. Go out and do something good in the world. We here at Streel 119 would like to remind all of you out there listening, wherever you might be, that though the hill might be steep and the trail be rocky. The mountaintop awaits. Carry on.